0: When we turn on the news and hear about all the bad things happening all over the world, it can leave us with a sense of despair and anxiety about what the world is coming to. Thankfully, there are always people out there committed to making this world a better place. Some people write about injustice to raise awareness, some travel around the world giving aid and practical help to those unable to help themselves, whilst others strive to educate themselves and everyone else about important issues and what we can do to help. The woman we're going to be talking about today did all these things and more and was a brilliant example of how one person can touch so many lives. They say only the good die young and that certainly is true in today's case. Trigger warning, we will be talking about eating disorders and suicide today as I and Aaron from the Files Obscura podcast uncover the suspicious death of Jackie Sutton. Hello and welcome to the 19th episode of Uncover True Crime Podcast. My name is Stephanie and each week we uncover a different unsolved true crime case ranging from missing persons... Unsolved Murders, Jane and John Doe's, and Suspicious Deaths. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Uncover underscore Pod, and on Instagram at Uncover true crime Pod. You can listen to the episodes on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, as well as YouTube by searching Uncover True Crime. Today's episode is part of a collaboration with Files Obscura Podcast, so welcome, Aaron.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, yes, my name is Aaron and I run the Files Obscure podcast with my team. We like to cover more like your podcast, true crimes and unsolved murders and stuff. However, we try to err on the side of the mysterious or the just downright obscure stuff. So sometimes we won't just cover true crime. We will cover, you know, very unique alien abduction cases, uh certain types of Mental illnesses that would lead to certain true crimes. Or, as we did in a, one of our latest episodes, it was the guy murders, which, unfortunately, due to some issues, we could not have you, Steph, uh, on for that episode. But in that episode, which you should be able to hear as of Tuesday, uh, June 9th, we have talked about a family who, for all reasons, seemed like the perfect family in Japan, and they, with no warning, died in one night on the turn of the century. And to this day, 20 years later, we still don't know what happened.
0: That's crazy, isn't it? That oh, it's- a murder of an entire family can go unsolved for so long. Just How does someone do that and leave... Nothing.
1: Well, without spoiling too much about the episode, there's a lot of left turns and, and things that just don't make sense. And a lot of what I'll say are unintentional red herrings. Um, due to the description and the behavior of the suspect that people believe, it just it doesn't make sense how someone could leave so much evidence to that you'll you'll learn when uh, you listen to the episode. And still get away with things because some evidence would lead people to suspect maybe there would be military personnel from America, specifically from Edwards Air Force Base, which, fun fact, was the Air Force Base that was right next to where I grew up. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the idea of the person who killed this family, what you need to know is that they lived in a duplex family that lived right next to them was the mother's uh, mother and her sister and husband at the time. So you have a family living literally one wall away and nobody knows what happened.
0: That's that's absolutely heartbreaking. Oh yeah. This episode is going out on Friday the 12th so the Files Obscura podcast episode on that case will be available as you're listening to this. Highly suggest going to check it out. I know I will be because it sounds like a really interesting case.
1: Absolutely. If anybody was interested we are currently also available on Spotify, which is our biggest platform. And we are available on Anchor, which is where our we get our second largest audience. And to get any more interactions with us as we try to have our team be more involved with the community, you can also find us on Twitter and on Instagram. Or you can also join our Facebook page. We just launched the Facebook page about a day or two before as of us recording now.
0: Go check them out. At some point, I will also be on their podcast discussing a case. I will let you know when that goes live. But Please check out Aaron and his podcast. They are really, really good. I highly rate their content. So without any further ado, let's uncover the mysterious death of Jackie Sutton.
1: Jacqueline Sutton was born in Hertfordshire, England in 1964. There is not a lot of information publicly available about her family or her childhood, but we do know that even from a young age, she identified as a feminist and was passionate about how women were portrayed in the media. When she first read an issue of Jackie, a popular teen magazine back in the 60s and 70s, she was appalled by the messages it was sending to young women about makeup, boys, and body image. From that moment on, she insisted those around her call her Jackie spelt with a Y to distance herself from the publication as much as possible. By Jackie's own admission, she did not have a lot of aspirations growing up career-wise, and she did not like how the education system only seemed to value intelligence instead of perhaps athleticism and creativity. She finally seemed to fit her perfect fit when she was enrolled in a vegetarian boarding school at age 16. She felt extremely passionate about vegetarianism and veganism, and it was a lifestyle she would live by and promote for the rest of her life. At this school, she would also develop a love for literature, Shakespeare in particular, and she got accepted into Warwick University, where she studied English and American literature, as well as Spanish. She graduated with a first degree and an overall grade so high, she received personal recognition from the Cambridge exam board. Right after finishing university, she moved to Canada, where for two years she volunteered to help create houses for the native and indigenous communities and would later describe this part of her life as a magical time. She returned to the UK in 1989 and was awarded a scholarship to complete a master's degree in constitutional law. She wrote her thesis on native Canadian land rights and got a distinction grade for this. She returned to Canada briefly and did consider a career in constitutional law, but as segregation was still in effect in South Africa at the time, she decided. She decided to become involved in the anti-apartheid movement and took a job with the Angolan Embassy. She traveled the world, working for the Vatican Radio, then to Eritrea in East Africa, where she worked for the BBC News World Service. She lived in Eritrea from 1993 to 1998 but spent three of these years in a detention center before finally being deported on suspicion that she was a spy. The trauma she experienced whilst in the detention center led her suffering from PTSD. And back in 1998, there was no real help for people who suffered from mental health issues. In an article she wrote for her Canberra, she said, I was given some Prozac and told to soldier on. Upon her return to the United Kingdom, she was offered another scholarship to complete her PhD at Leeds University. But due to her mental health and her mother being diagnosed with breast cancer, she chose to care for her mother in her final days and postponed any future studies. This was not the first time Jackie had cared for someone who was dying, as during the 90s, she lost a friend to AIDS, a disease he contracted while he and Jackie worked together in Africa. Others were scared too to be around him, as little was known about AIDS and people thought that being around someone who suffered from it would lead them to also contract the virus. This did not stop Jackie from comforting her friend and holding his hand through his final days. As she said, no one should die alone.
0: Despite the loss of her friend and mother, Jackie did indeed soldier on and would marry the love of her life, Charles, in 2000. Her family approved of him, but it was Charles's approval of America invading Iraq that would eventually split them up. Jackie was very against the Iraq war and as they were both very politically minded and headstrong, this difference of opinion put a huge strain on their marriage and they divorced in 2004, the same year Jackie's father died after turning to alcohol following his wife's death. Jackie kept working through all her heartache and took great interest in the Middle East. She worked in Afghanistan, Ghana and Iraq throughout the rest of her career. And in 2014 she started working as a deputy country head for the Institute of War and Peace Reporting. She felt very passionate about changing the anti-women narrative being spread by the Islamic State. WIPR's executive director Anthony Burden was more than happy to give Jackie the job, saying quote she was the only person who could possibly step into Ammar's shoes and did it seamlessly, unquote. Jackie was very aware of how dangerous her Job was as her predecessor and friend Amar al Shabandar had died in a car bombing in May 2014. Jackie's friend Susan Hutchinson said, quote, When she took up the job, she knew her predecessor had been killed. We knew it was a dangerous job in a dangerous country. Unquote. Jackie commented on the dangerous nature of her work to her Cambria, saying, quote, If ISIS wants to attack, they will, but it will take planning and I won't be the target. If the wacko wants to get to heaven, he or she will have to contend with armed guards and a choice of targets and the same for criminal kidnappers a growth industry in Iraq unquote. When Jackie wasn't risking her life reporting on issues in the Middle East, she was enjoying the sunny beaches in Australia after moving there in 2013. She started working on her PhD at the Australian National University in Cambria and was making such amazing steps to make the world a better place for people in war-torn countries. When covering cases, I really like to tell you as much about the victim as possible as it is not their death that defines them. I could carry on for hours telling you all about Jackie's accomplishments and the amazing work she did and if you're interested in hearing about it please check out the article she wrote for her cambria magazine as i was researching this i couldn't help but think about all the amazing things she would have gone on to do she managed to fit a lot into her 50 years and we will never know what else she could have gone on to achieve as she died under very mysterious circumstances on the 17th of october 2014
1: a week before she died Jackie traveled back to London to attend her friend Amar al-Shabander's funeral. She caught up with her friends and family in what was described as, quote, emotional but ultimately uplifting week, unquote, on the 16th of October. She boarded flight TK1986 from London to Istanbul, Turkey, where she would have to wait a couple of hours for her connecting flight to Erbil, Iraq. She arrived in Turkey at 10 p.m. local time and sat in a cafe drinking a couple of beers and reading while waiting to board the plane. There is CCTV footage that shows her in the airport and it seems as though she fell asleep as she did not respond when the final call for her flight was being announced. Upon realizing Jackie had missed her flight, her bags were taken off the plane and it took off. Jackie made her way to the check-in desk 15 minutes after the plane had left and she was informed that she would have to buy another ticket. This is where accounts start to differ. Some sources claim that Jackie became terribly upset and told staff she didn't have enough money to buy another ticket, whilst others say that she had thousands of dollars on her, more than enough to fund another ticket. Although, even if she did not have money on her, it is agreed by all of her co-workers at IWPR that this sort of thing is not uncommon and they would have paid for another ticket. Other sources say she did not ask about booking another flight, but was told she would have to go back to the main foyer and out the security exit. But there was not going to be another flight that night. Her friend and former colleague Sebastian Klitsch said, quote, that Jackie I know would either take the opportunity to have a night out in Istanbul, or would start working on her next thesis chapter while waiting for another plane. Jackie did not buy another ticket, and instead, she hung around the desk before entering the ladies' toilet at 1 a.m. Fifteen minutes passed, and people entered and exited the toilet as normal. This was until 1.15 a.m. when three Russian women entered the bathroom and immediately came back out, alerting staff to the fact that they had just discovered the body of a woman. That woman would later be identified as being Jackie Sutton. Turkish authorities were quick to reveal that Jackie had hung herself with a bootlace from a hook on the bathroom door, but her family and friends were not convinced.
0: Everyone was shocked by Jackie's sudden passing, and several people and agencies Jackie had worked for expressed their disbelief and immense sadness over her death. Anthony Borden, the executive director of IWPR, said, quote, We at IWPR remain deeply saddened by Jackie's death, and our thoughts are with her family at this time. Jackie was an extremely kind, competent, and dearly valued member of staff. Throughout her career, she courageously dedicated herself to improving the lives of disadvantaged and dispossessed in some of the world's most challenging regions, with special focus on strengthening media and freedom of expression. Jackie was one of the top development professionals working in Iraq and she devoted nearly 10 years of her life to helping the country. She was extremely bright, highly competent and well able to handle herself in difficult environments, and she was universally loved we are all in shock, unquote. His statement was quickly followed by one from the International Women's Development Agency, a company that worked on women's rights and gender equality in the asian Pacific region. They had this to say, quote, Today we grieve for Jackie Sutton, a close and courageous colleague who IWDA worked with through the women peace and security movement. Jackie Sutton was a fearless advocate for women's rights. Her passing brings home the risks women human rights defenders face every day. Today, we are angry and grieving for Jackie Sutton tomorrow will be seeking answers and calling for urgent action, No one that knew Jackie could comprehend that she would take her own life over an issue that could have been easily resolved and they called for a full investigation into her death. Christian Bluer, a research fellow who was completing his PhD alongside Jackie, said this on Twitter, quote, Jackie Sutton worked in Afghanistan and Iraq, toughest woman you could meet. Turkish police say she committed suicide because she missed her flight, unquote. Osam, leading Iraq journalist quickly followed suit saying quote, unless I see evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that Jackie Sutton committed suicide, I am convinced that she was killed. R.I.P. Unquote. Four days after her death, the IWPR and the Sutton family released a statement that said the Turkish authorities had quote, cooperated fully and provided access to the complete dossier of evidence relating to the case including copies of CCTV images and all documentation. They also stated that they had been provided with, quote, comprehensive CCTV footage with no apparent time gaps, still pictures, and witness statements that all indicate Jackie was alone and that there was no evidence of a struggle, unquote. But that, quote, there remains the possibility that additional information will come to light, unquote. They agreed with the Turkish authorities that she had completed suicide, and just like that, her case was closed. But that did not stop people speculating that there was more to the story. Before we go on to talk about the theories, I want to make it perfectly clear that we mean no disrespect to the Sutton family or their belief that Jackie died by her own hand. Everything we are going to discuss is pure speculation and our thoughts are with them even now years after Jackie's death. We hope they are doing okay and that the inquest that was conducted has given them closure as to what happened to her.
1: With all that being said... The first theory is that Jackie decided to commit suicide in an impulsive act resulting from the stress from her missing her flight. As mentioned earlier, this is what her family believed and after the inquest into her death, her sister Jenny released the following statement on behalf of the Sutton family, quote, the family is satisfied with the investigation undertaken by the Turkish authorities. We were deeply skeptical about the initial reports, but based on the evidence we have seen at this stage, we believe that Jackie acted alone. Unquote.
0: Okay, so this is the part where me and Aaron are going to discuss this particular theory that Jackie completed suicide. Aaron, what do you think about this theory?
1: I'm going to get a little bit more personal than I intended to hear with suicide. As someone who has personally attempted on more than one occasion, uh, I've always advocated to never go for that attempt because it, it, it's a very permanent solution, I'm sure we've all heard that rhetoric, to a very temporary problem. And, you know... Unfortunately, I have firsthand experience with what it's like to hang yourself. And I hate that I have that experience, but from what I see, the statement is that that she hung herself with her bootlace on one of the bathroom hooks in, the, in uh, the stalls. It just, it doesn't sit right. Cause not only would you have more than enough weight to break a, a, a bootlace, but I'm sure, you know, as it is for me, when I go into those bathroom stalls, I don't know what it's like in other countries or other regions, even in the United States. But as far as I know, those hooks are for me chest level, and I'm six foot three, six foot four, or 195 centimeters. That's still, you know, even if you're five foot nine or whatever, you know, five foot five, that's still not tall enough for you to hang yourself. So, in no way do I believe that's even conceivably possible. She would have had to hang herself by one of the ceiling lights or something, and even then, those don't hold the structural support to, to to support a body, even at 150 pounds or so
0: I totally agree with everything that Aaron said. The actual act of her doing it, I don't understand how she physically could have completed suicide in the way that they're saying she did. I mean, I am five foot nine, and I'm telling you, if I tried to hang myself on the back of one of those hooks, my feet are hitting the floor with plenty room to, to spare. If you're Wanting to to hang yourself, you're you're going to do it from a great height because you're not going to want your feet to hit the floor. It sort of defeats the purpose. It doesn't make sense to me.
1: Well, yeah, and even more so if you're going to hang yourself, you know. And just me being just completely objective here about about how this works, because I have a lot of friends who you know are very into dark subjects like this. One even wanting to be a mortician. Uh, I learned through discussion with them and stuff. Uh, looking into other cases a shoestring like i said or a bootstrap would not be enough the tensile strength that that would uh, undergo would be more than enough to, for that to snap even belts can struggle doing that it's leather belts mm-hmm. you know so you would need something very heavy duty you know it's something that can withstand not only the weight but the other issue with that is there's two ways to die by hanging there is the very slow suffocation and then there's the very quick drop that that snaps your neck. When we think of hangings and criminal cases and stuff from a long time ago, that was the method that they would opt to. They would hang you and then they would put you over a pedestal that would drop underneath you and the weight of your body would be enough to, to yank on the rope on your neck and it would break, killing you almost instantly. If you didn't die almost instantly and you sat there and just choked or the blood was cut off from your brain, that was seen as you not have done your job right because it's a very slow and agonizing death. Yeah. So when I imagine I go then to strangulation, you know, if, if there's enough evidence to say that, you know, the cause of death was located around the neck, I immediately think strangulation either by your hands or a If You don't know what that is. It's the, you know, spy tool or Italian mafia mafia tool where you got a like a piece of piano wire or something or that twine and you wrap it around two, you know, things to hold in your hand and then you choke somebody that way. Done right, unfortunately, you can make it look like someone killed themselves that way because the bruising would only be around the wire or or the string that was used. And, and, you know, yes, you know, a lot of people may talk about, you know, her PTSD, you know, which could lead to depression. I personally suffer from PTSD to a minor degree, and my mother, being a U.S. veteran, also suffers from PTSD. And I can tell you, yes, PTSD does lead to some suicidal thoughts, but more often than not, it can also lead to just anger issues. It can just lead to, you know being stubborn and taken as a bitch sometimes excuse my language but you know it it doesn't always lead to suicide and so when people use that as their smoking gun as a reason to explain this uh, which i saw uh, some of my own independent research i just couldn't be more appalled at at the lack of understanding of what ptsd and suicide is and when when you you know sit on that side of the argument it like i said it just doesn't make sense And coupled with the fact that there are more than enough cases of journalists that have been targeted, especially in uh, regions with a lot of political discord, journalists are often always targeted because they're the ones spreading news to other countries and they don't have any reason to, you know, follow the, you know, the ethics and, and, you know, journalistic styles of the country that they're in, you know, they have no duty to that country to make them look good. They have a duty to report what they see and what they find out. And so oftentimes countries will kill, you know, supposedly they'll kill journalists and make it, you know, make up a story of them being missing in action or killed by a terrorist group or committed suicide to some degree, you know, and it always, there's more than enough cases that, you know, don't make sense like this. Jackie is just, you know, she's not the first. She's not the last. She's just one of many journalists that have suffered from this. Totally
0: agree with everything that Aaron says, and I'm sure we have all seen and heard on the news about different journalists who have either been abducted or sadly been killed purely for doing their job, and that is absolutely something we're going to get into in a theory a bit further down about the possibility that Jackie was was murdered, which in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, I absolutely believe that that is what happened. Going back to the PTSD point for just two seconds. I also have personal experience with PTSD. It's something that I still struggle to to this day and as much as I totally understand PTSD affects everyone differently, for me I get very anxious by certain triggers so if people come up behind me a bit too quickly I mean I live with my partner and even if he comes out of the bathroom at a time when I'm not expecting it he lives in the house and he has lived with me for I want to say around seven months I still get really freaked out by that and it still gives me a lot of anxiety so it is really really hard to live with but this is something that Jackie had dealt with for about 20 years by the time that she had died and yes she didn't receive professional help at the time when, you know, she was detained and when the PTSD started, but 20, on one hand, yes, 20 years is a very long time to deal with mental illness without proper help, but at the same time, 20 years is a very long time to be able to manage your own triggers.
1: Learn how to build your safeguards and stuff like that. Yeah, because to kind of speak a bit uh, about, you know, what I deal with, I went through a very traumatic situation whenever I was about 15 years old uh, with my mother. This is not the incident that gave her PTSD. Like I said, she was a veteran. She already had this. But this is the situation that gave it to me. It's 10 years on. um, I still, you know, deal with it. Uh, I have built, you know, my own kind of safeguards, but on my bad days, you know, the worst it's ever gotten was, you know, a series of, of nightmares and just pure paranoia, you know, about being afraid about whoever I was talking to, everyone, and, and the, the need to escape was very real. The panic attacks I, I suffer and still suffer, you know, are very real. Yeah. However, like I said, she had 20 years. I only had 10 and... and I've had time to build safeguards for myself, ways to get through this. I personally decided not to seek professional help about this as unfortunately, I grew up in a household that prided your ability to get through things by yourself. And that is probably the most polite way I could say that. You know, the common argument being just get over it. Uh, And and I had to learn to live with that kind of environment. And, and, you know, I learned through meditation and self-discipline how to deal with this stuff or, you know, ourselves. And there's other practices and and things that work for individuals. And especially as a journalist, I can imagine she would have built this up a long time ago. So, again, it doesn't stand to like I can understand, you know, moments where things would flare up and, you know, you may get to a dark mental place. I just don't see that being likely with her.
0: Totally. Another thing, that incident with Jackie happened in the late 90s. Look at everything she went on to achieve after that. She immigrated to Australia. She went from Canada to Afghanistan to Ghana to Iraq. She was a frequent flyer. She was used to traveling. And she's going to kill herself over an incident at an airport. Like, I'm sure that during her life she had experienced difficulties at airports before either with, you know, common things like the plane being delayed or, you know, missing a flight which, like is what happened to her here I can understand how it maybe triggered her, how it maybe could have made her anxious, because some reports do state she was upset, some say that she wasn't. I could understand how she would maybe be upset and a bit panicky for about 10 minutes, I'm sure most people would if they missed a flight and were stuck in Istanbul, but given how often she would fly from country to country, it doesn't make sense that that's what would make her make the decision to enter her life. It just it doesn't make sense to
1: me. Yeah, it just, it just doesn't fit. And uh, important note, it's not just that she just traveled from country to country. She traveled to countries where there were, you know, national issues still going on, like apartheid.
0: Absolutely.
1: You know, constant fighting that was still going on in the places that she was going to. So it's not like she was just investigating like a business firm in like China or something. She was going to places that dealt with issues that you're gonna have to, you know, rely on your flight or fight response sometimes. You're gonna have to deal with issues that could very well be life or death sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or or what I like to call powder kick situations where it's a lot of tension, there's a lot of things, and it could take one minor mistake popping everything off. And I'm sure she probably dealt with situations like that quite regularly. So again, like you said, you know, going through, you know, Istanbul, getting into the airport and being told, you know, you missed your flight, you know, you know, you need to buy a new ticket. Yeah, I I could see her like, like you said, being triggered for a moment, but I could also see her just being like, okay, it's not a big deal, takes a few deep breaths, calm down and then let's work this out, you know? I see that being a lot more likely with her.
0: Absolutely, that's where I stand. I struggle with the logistics of how she actually, apparently, completed suicide. Obviously, it was quarter past one when those three Russian women went in and found her and came back out, but there was apparently people going in and out of that toilet you know, between 1am and quarter past one. I don't understand how they found her so quickly because if she did indeed hang herself in a toilet cubicle, how did they find her within seconds of them entering the bathroom? What I was thinking about this a lot earlier and what seems most reasonable in my head, and I don't know if you'll agree with me here, Aaron, is that If she was murdered, someone strangled her with, maybe with the bootlace, maybe not, whatever. If they killed her, if they positioned her body on the hook on the back of the door and then left the door open. But if she did intend to complete suicide, she's not going to do that with the door open. You know, you're going to lock the door and do it in in private because you're not going to want anyone to interrupt you and you're not going to want anyone to find you while you're trying to do that. What what do you think? I just found that the fact that they found her so quickly doesn't sit right with me.
1: Okay, And, and this is going to be kind of a weird example that I'm going to. However, with what little we know, it's definitely under the umbrella of possibility. Um, I'm going to ask you real quick, how familiar are you with the Marvel Netflix series Punisher? Not at all. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to do my best to explain a very specific scene that you find in the first season, the first episode, actually. Um, To kind of give you a brief rundown, uh, the character, Frank Castle, is going on, you know, basically a killing spree to kill every member associated with the gangs that killed his family. Um, one of the Irish, uh, mobs that he was going after, he found a dude in a bathroom stall and he went in there, closed the stall behind him, literally strangled him with his own net, uh, necktie. But the people outside of the stall just thought that they were, you know, a gay couple just doing what they needed to do in the stall. So under an era of just complete possibility, although it's not something I would really say is something I support. What if there was an instance where the killer joined her in the stall and was able to silently kill her, but all the other women were able to kind of just, you know, disregard it for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's a lesbian couple, maybe it's a mother and daughter for whatever reason. They don't know. They just don't want to get involved. And she was quietly killed there. And then as soon as the killer left is whenever the three Russian women would enter and see the body at that point. That will explain why nobody was able to see it. Nobody was able to suspect what happened. And we don't know who the killer is. But then that brings us to the question, would, you know, I, again, I haven't seen the CCTV footage. Uh, I can't say, you know, one way or another, but it brings a question of would the, the female assailant, assuming she's female, even be capable of that level of, of violence or, or strangulation? And if so, what is her motive? I mean, it still leaves other questions. You know, but it was just—it was interesting that that was the first thing that came to my mind because it does, to a certain extent, seem almost plausible. You know.
0: Yeah, I totally hadn't considered the fact that there was someone else in the cubicle with her. You know, it's hard to tell because obviously we don't—you know—public. Yeah, talk. we don't have
1: we don't have cameras in our no. bathroom stall.
0: No, we 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 like don't God. know even how big it was or if someone else could have fit in there. I, I do think that's that's a possibility and something I was going to mention a bit earlier in terms of a man entering the toilet and please excuse me if I get these terms wrong, but if he was perhaps wearing a burqa or a hijab, is that how you pronounce it? Uh,
1: yeah, hijab, uh, burqa.
0: Yeah. It's very possible that if you were going to disguise yourself and go into a toilet and want to be disguised on CCTV, I think that would be a pretty good way of of doing it. And obviously, a burqa and a hijab would be very easy to, to come across in Turkey.
1: I do. Exactly, and, and you know, they're, uh, coming from a military family and a lot of friends that I have in the military who have been overseas and everything, I've heard stories of, you know, terrorists who would try to hide that way. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility either. And sometimes they succeed. They don't know until it's a little too late sometimes, you know, when you're when you're escorting civilians and stuff like and I'm not military personnel, I've never served. So if I get anything wrong, please forgive me. But you know, as I imagine it, you know, with the TV and personal experiences that I've had, you know, told to me, you know, you don't, you're not always going to be aware of that possibility. You're not always going to be aware of, you know, people's intentions either you know, you're just trying to do your job and move on and make sure, you know, you don't lose anybody. So the idea of uh, of somebody being able to, you know, sneak past other people, being disguised as a woman, especially whenever you're wearing some form of headgear that covers most of your face, you know, it's going to be very easy to slip in and out of situations like this, especially if you're small enough to fit a kind of more feminine stature. You know, you're not going to get me doing that. I'm like I said, I'm I'm six foot four, I'm, I'm 195 centimeters. You know, I, I am too big. I'm too hairy. It wouldn't work. But if you have somebody who's a little more like my brother, you know, he's five foot seven, you know, he's only a hundred and like 22 pounds, you know, he would make a much better, you know, stand in for, for this kind of hypothesis. And for me, you know, assuming that it is a male in disguise makes a lot more sense with, you know, some of the other things I was talking about, rather than, than it being a female.
0: Do you lean more on the side that she was that she was murdered. Absolutely. I want to balance out this argument slightly because there are a lot of people including the Sutton family who do believe that she committed suicide so as much as I and Aaron don't necessarily believe that this is what happened, I do want to balance this argument out slightly.
1: I believe that's fair.
0: So while Jackie was a very smart and capable and strong woman, she had a lot going on beneath the surface that people didn't know about. Some people are very good at putting on a brave face, me being one of them, and when when people are struggling with these issues and just putting on a brave face it can often come as such a shock to their friends and family that like what happened in Jackie's case you know as I said a lot of her friends were like no 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 she would do this But you never truly know what's going on inside a person's head. Jackie had actually suffered from anorexia when she was a teenager. I could only find one article that mentioned this, although it did seem to be a very credible article. And it didn't go into a lot of detail about how this affected her in her teenage years or how it affected her in adulthood or what treatment she received for it and everything. But from photos I can see of Jackie that are publicly available, she didn't at all seemed to be underweight. She looked like she was a a very healthy woman. To to me personally, looking at the photos, she looked like someone who enjoyed walking a lot. You know, she had quite... I don't know what you think, Aaron, if you've seen any photos of her, but she looked like she had a slight kind of muscular build.
1: Yeah, I, I saw some photos of her. From what i've seen and what i know about anorexia and just body dysmorphia in general as it's a very big problem here in the states still it's not something i personally suffered but something i was more aware of i guess on a personal level from a, as of all places, a Netflix movie called To the Bone. It actually has uh, Keanu Reeves as the doctor in that. It's a fantastic movie. I highly recommend it. But in that movie, the uh, main character, she goes by Eli about halfway th- through the, the film, and that's just what she's addressed as. She uh, has anorexia, and very bad anorexia. Like, she measures the width of her arm on an almost daily basis. Oh. And she's constantly running up and down stairs, constantly refusing to eat and stuff like that. It, like, the, if you imagine worst case scenario, this was Eli. It's not always to that degree, but the psychology of it is, is you'll never see yourself as great. And there, the idea of constantly exercising is still prevalent. Like you said with Jackie, she did seem fit. She did seem toned. So that may be something she still carried on. You know, maybe she developed more self-control and was able to keep herself on a schedule. You know, maybe she was able to tell herself when to eat and what to eat to make sure she had her calories to keep doing her job, but the idea of being that strict on her body may still have been prevalent. You know, body dysmorphia is not something that goes away, you know, very easily by any means, and sometimes it lasts with you for a lifetime. Like PTSD, it's a constant battle because you're constantly fighting the negative image of yourself that you can't shake off, you know, no matter what you do.
0: Yeah, absolutely and i just want to say i've personally have never dealt with with anorexia i have in the past had an eating disorder but i've never actually had anorexia or body dysmorphia although I think that anorexia is a very misunderstood mental illness because that's exactly what it is it's a mental illness It's you can't just look at somebody who's really really underweight and be like bam anorexia it is a mental illness and in theory you can be 18 stone plus whatever you can weigh whatever and still be anorexic because it's, it's a mindset anorexia is just often not picked up until you're scared underweight you know it's not picked up until you're at crisis point but it's very possible that Jackie could still have had the mindset of someone with anorexia, even though she didn't appear to be underway. I mean, as you said, Aaron, body dysmorphia is something that it can take years and years to get over, and I know that some people never truly get over it. You, you can't avoid your body. You know, you can't. It's not something you could get away from. It's not something you can distract yourself from. It's the physical place that, that you live. You know, when you get dressed every morning, where when you're in the shower. All these things can be triggers and looking at different parts of yourself and thinking, God, I'm I'm so fat, I'm so ugly, I'm I'm so unattractive I said I don't actually have personal experience with anorexia. I'm purely going off of what I've heard about about the illness. But those thoughts always stay with you, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 8 stone, 18 stone, 80 stone, you know, so I don't think that we can rule out the possibility that she still struggled with that, even though photos of her did show her what I would perceive as being a healthy weight.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, to kind of just round off the uh, topic of anorexia and body dysmorphia in general, like like you said it could take any form in any body because it is a mental illness the way that anorexia works you know a very very you know quick summary you mentally see yourself as overweight no matter your size you could be as skinny as a literal twig and still see yourself as fat and disgusting and repulsive there's also uh bulimia which is a similar uh issue uh, the way that anorexia and bulimia are differentiated is the way that the individual tackles their weight loss. I believe bulimia, it's excessive exercise and dieting, whereas anorexia, it's, you know, the forced vomiting and the lack to eat or do anything. And, and as somebody who suffered a very minor form of body dysmorphia, I never had anorexia, I never had bulimia. Those were never my issues. My current issue now, I am, you know, a little overweight. And I'm trying to work on my image. But my biggest issue is, is me feeling that I will never get rid of this weight no matter what I do. You know, so I, I'm going to say, you know, open, open book. I am not the person to ask about body dysmorphia or anorexia. It's just, you know, this was my personal issue dealing with my body at the time. So, and it's still something that carries on today. You know, um, most people and friends that I talk to, I'm very happy. I'm very cheerful. I like to be a positive person. But these are still things that weigh in the back of my mind. When I go to the shower and, you know, I get ready, I see myself in the mirror. Unfortunately, the first thing I see, you know, is just my sheer size. You know, yes, I'm tall, but, you know, to have, still have, you know, your weight spilling over your sides is an issue. For me, it's an issue and I don't like it but I feel like I'm trapped in a sense of I'm stuck with this. So I got to get used to it, you know, which then makes me more depressed, you know, because I'm not where I ideally want to be and stuff. And it then you start with most mental illnesses, you start going into this kind of cycle and cycles are very hard to break unless you know, you know, how to discipline yourself and get out of it, you know? So,
0: yeah. Absolutely, I mean, although both of us have our own experiences with, you know, body dysmorphia, eating issues, neither of us are experts on anorexia, bulimia or anything like that. The point that I think we are both trying to make is that it's very possible Jackie was still suffering with these thoughts and with these images of herself. And I think because she was such a capable and strong woman, when you have an image that you want other people to see of you, you know, if you want people to see, you're a strong-minded journalist, you're capable, you can take on the world, as I believe a lot of people felt about Jackie, it's very easy for people not to see what's beneath that. And it's very, very possible that she had other things going on. I mean, she told her sister, and this is a quote, She was in despair about the Middle East and she was having a real crisis of confidence about her own capability to make a difference. She talked about her loneliness. I think she took a snap decision to check out, unquote. Um, Jackie left a will behind, which obviously our sister saw after she passed away. And in this will, Jackie left a letter that said, in part... I'm not in Australia because I don't love you all. I do. If I liked myself more, I'd spend more time with you, unquote. When I first read that, like, my heart broke for her. Like, I just think that is, that's so sad that because you're struggling with whatever you're struggling with mentally, that you feel you've got to distance yourself from your family because you don't like the person you've become. Like, that really broke my heart when I read that.
1: Yeah. Uh, And as someone who suffers from, you know, clinical depression, you know, it's something I deal with on an everyday basis. And when I read that, unfortunately, it it echoed a lot of the same sentiments to um, videos I've made before my attempts, you know, to family and friends and stuff. And it, it hurts because it hurts more for me, I guess, in the sense that I know what it's like sitting in that position, writing that down. And, and you know the mindset you have to be in you know when you feel like it doesn't matter anymore because after this it's irrelevant you know after this nothing else will matter for me you know this is the best thing i could do you know and, and all these thoughts that that fill your head and and as always i i i highly advocate you know against suicide and getting you know help for mental issues and depression and, and stuff like this uh because i talked about it in one of my uh, other episodes where uh I, I went over some statistics about suicide, and especially being you know a white male, we cover almost seventy percent of all suicides, not just male suicides, not just white suicides, of all suicides. White males make up seventy percent in America. And you know, being part of that demographic, you know it, it really hurts to see, and it really hurts more to be able to relate. I don't want to be able to relate to that. I don't want to know what that's like. It's not a desirable feeling, but it is one that I think is important to have at least some understanding of and be empathetic for because it allows you, you know, to understand that, you know, no words are going to be able to pull you out of this. I under I understood that a long time ago. Words are not enough to pull you out of these feelings. You have to be capable of just letting yourself be there for that person uh, whatever they need you to be just someone to hug someone to just cry to vent to be angry you know because because you got to understand it whatever they they express to you it, it's not towards you specifically but more often than not obviously you know they just need an outlet and they need to be able to trust you and with a lot of my friends that go through this too i try to be that outlet because i know what it's like and every day you know i may start to sink and i have to pull myself out of that and remind myself, no. You've got too much going on in your life to just say no right now. You know, you've got too many people here that are relying on you, who are hoping to do work with you, who who want to see you aspire and grow to the things you want to do. And I have to constantly remind myself of that. And And I'm sure this is something she went and did often too. And unfortunately, we don't always win. Sometimes the depression wins and it's a tragedy it truly is a tragedy and i'm trying so hard not to cry right now (laughs) oh god but yes it 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 hurts and it sucks and it's sad and there's nothing you feel like you can do sometimes and this is why it's so important to talk about you know the things you're feeling and we need to be okay to talk about our feelings especially as a, a male you know, we're told all the time, just tough it up, you know, man up. And it, manning up is just shutting things away. And you can't shove things away anymore. There's not enough room. It's going to burst out and it's going to be at the worst time. And it's going to make you feel even worse about yourself. So you have to learn to to put faith in people and talk to them, you know, but find the right person to talk to.
0: Absolutely, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with everything that you've just said more.
1: Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox now, sorry.
0: I would just like to add at this point in the podcast that if you have any suicidal thoughts, please seek help. I will put resources and hotlines and whatever you need in the description below and I say this from the bottom of my heart, if anyone listening to this podcast today has any thoughts on ending their own life and they need someone to talk to who they don't know, who isn't going to judge them, please head over to my Instagram page. Anything you say to me is confidential need anybody i'm here for you thank you for for opening up about that about that and i know that that couldn't have been that couldn't have been easy
1: it's never easy to talk about um but like i said i try to be a very you know outspoken advocate about mental health and men's health uh because it is it's not like women's issues aren't important they are absolutely important but that shouldn't overshadow what men do go through uh, and, no. and, you know, I, I have more than enough understanding friends and I love them and I'm proud of them for supporting me in the things I do talk about. Unfortunately, I've also had people in my life who thought I was being an asshole, that I was being very anti-feminist uh, because of the way I describe things or stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm fully well aware of the things that women go through, you know, from the minor things of being catcalled to, you know, the major things like female genital mutilation. I'm very aware of the systematic, you know, displacement of wealth and, 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 you know, resources that women do go through, you know, I'm painfully aware of it. And it, it's things I think about all the time, you know, cause I, as a human, I like to think of things like this. When you take away pronouns and you take away, you know, adjectives in the end, what, whoever you talk about, whatever you talk about, they should be equal, you know, and, and not to make it uh, too political with the things that are going on now uh, in America, but like when it comes to race, especially that, that is a very big issue, especially in the black community, because once you see that descriptor, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, Americans were raised in an environment that bred systematic hate, you know, and, and I was lucky enough to say I wasn't raised in that kind of environment. I was raised in an environment where it's, that's a person, you know, you treat as a person, you know, they can do good in society if you do good for them, you know. And that's how I've ever seen it. Like I, I cannot see it as anything else. You know, you being black, white, Asian, male, female, transgender—it yeah. means nothing to me. It truly means nothing to me. And and I wish more people could could work that way. You know.
0: So do I. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all just people, and we all we all deserve to be to be equal.
1: We deserve love, kindness, sweetness, compassion from everyone.
0: Yeah. I know and it's so it's so sad to me that, that some people don't get those things and they don't feel that compassion and that love as you said and that they feel that their only way out is by completing suicide and that that just makes me so sad and going back to what you were saying about um, about men, committing suicide that is also a massive problem in the uk i think i read a statistic that said 87 men complete suicide in the uk every week uh, yeah we've got a huge issue because again that culture of man up get over it you know real men don't cry like it's
1: yeah help it out and all that it, it is so much more destructive I know, than people realize
0: people just expect that you know women can talk to their girlfriends and because we appear on the outside to be more emotional we can open up more because it's almost like it's expected of us
1: it's socially acceptable and and like you said for women to be more emotional where men are are almost designed if you will to be more stoic and, and quiet and reserved you know um and i was sitting here trying to remember an episode that we did recently about you know suicide um one of our last episodes, Gloomy Sunday, you know, was a Hungarian suicide song, came out in the thirties, you know, during the one of the worst economic depressions that ever hit the world and everything. Um, and we discussed, you know, suicides and stuff and some of the statistics. And here in America, it's like 135 people die every single day to suicide. Every single day. That's like, uh, I think I did the math. It's like one almost every like five minutes or something. And I, I cover a lot more statistics and facts in that episode. So if you're curious and interested in the song, too, because the history of the song is very, very uh, dark, but uh, almost gravitating. You know, I, I don't know the, the right the right word for that, um, but it, it's definitely worth to listen to. Um, and, I, and for any Americans that are listening, uh, I also tell you there, you know, some of the hotlines and, and uh, places that you can call and text for help. There's always somebody out there for you. You know, there's always someone who wants to see you tomorrow. You know, never forget that.
0: Absolutely. So I think as far as suicide goes, I think we've covered that really quite in depth.
1: Yeah. Um, we, uh, we, yeah, we, 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 we went quite life.
0: deep we went quite deep into that.
1: Yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
0: The second theory was that she completed suicide, but that there was something else going on besides her missing her flight, that there was something deeper to it. And this is a really hard theory to explore because you know as we've just spoke about everyone has got things going on everyone has got you know issues that they may be not talking about or something just something going on but specifically when I thought about this theory I was thinking did something happen to her at the airport that we don't know about did someone threaten her or say something that or say something to her that made her fearful. As Aaron said earlier, in order for her to get another ticket, she would have had to have gone out the security exit and then returned to the main foyer. I just have it in the back of my head that did she maybe think that someone was waiting for her or did she have another reason not to want to go back to that foyer? There is a lot of security in airports, so I really didn't know what to think about this one, but Aaron, I'm I'm interested in what your take on that is.
1: Well... You you call this one a theory and I'm hesitant to say theory because there's nothing too concrete yeah. as evidence or circumstance. So I would call this more of conjecture because of the amount of possibilities. Uh, so one possibility could be like, yes, of course she, she, you know, was just going through mental illness and just, she snapped and she lost to herself. That's possible. Then there's possibilities of maybe she knew something and, you know, there was an event that she witnessed somebody that she saw And knew that this was going to be the end. Maybe she was the type of person to say that she's going to die by her own hands. You know, which in a way, you could argue is actually quite brave. Um, You know, but for me, a lot of things in my personal life and personal opinions, I always say is circumstantial. So, you know, take that one with a grain of salt. That one's purely from me, you know. But it could also be, you know, a situation where things were looking normal And then maybe something she was digging up or looking into, you know, it could be the Turkish authorities or whoever authorities, you know, may have been tracking her for a while. And this is where they were just able to corner her could be something she digged up, but wasn't ready to reveal to the world. It just, it leads to many possibilities of what could happen. You know, this is where people's minds begin to wander and conspiracy theories begin to really sprout up. It's like, cause a lot of people want to always go to the question, what did she find? You know, and of course, that, that's one of the first things I like to go to is what did she find? Because, yes, it makes for a much better story, but at the same time, it also leads the possibility of, you know, political espionage, you know, spies, you know, as political assassins and stuff like that. But then.
0: Yeah, you can literally get anywhere with that, with that train of thought. Eh?
1: But at the same time, then you start feeling like you're writing a, a B rated, you know, James Bond film at that point. So it, it, it's 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 hard to really say you know what's happened with you know without finding out more you know maybe there was something that she found maybe there wasn't maybe she lost to her own demons maybe she didn't i'm just not the guy to say
0: totally agree and as i said earlier everything we're about everything that we've discussed in terms of how jackie died and why absolutely pure speculation. I personally just struggle with the fact that she killed herself purely because she missed a flight. You know, so that's where my kind of thought came in was, is there something else going on at that airport that we don't know about? And that leads us into our third theory.
1: The third theory is that she was murdered. Something that many of her friends and colleagues believe, despite the official ruling she was used to dealing with difficult situations and working in war-torn countries so why would she choose to take her own life over something like missing a flight fellow iraqi journalist mazin elias said quote she continued in iraq Everything was difficult. Everything was a challenge, but she still continued. But what I am sure about the kind of person that Jackie was, it's impossible she would have killed herself. Impossible. She is really looking for a better life for everyone. So why kill herself? That is crazy. I'm really sad and sorry for what happened, but if someone tells me she killed herself, I tell them no. That's wrong. Someone killed Jackie, unquote.
0: Even Anthony Borden, whose company released a statement saying that they believe she completed suicide, even he said, quote, I said it's a crime. That was my immediate reaction. And I think everyone felt the same, unquote. Now, I don't know if he still holds that opinion. And he was very careful in the way he said this. You know, he said crime. He didn't specifically say murder what are your thoughts Adam, on within the theory that she was murdered what initially comes to your mind about who could have had reason to want to kill her
1: for me the first and most probable case is always some government official it could have been because uh, i because a lot of people i whenever i was looking at this some people speculate you know some you know personal isis soldier or something like that i'm like they they, they aren't skilled enough for that in my opinion it would take them you know their tactics usually require massive amount of force or you know guerrilla warfare tactics such as you know ieds and stuff like that they don't carry out political assassinations they don't just straight up kill journalists you know and be secretive about it they usually film it they usually document it and make sure the world knows they did this that's yeah. why they're a terrorist group they own what they do they want the world to know what they're doing so, like I said, this to me screams something political. This screams to me some political official doesn't like what she was digging up and couldn't think of a better way to end her, or at least a quicker way to, to put a stop to her. You know, in movies and, and TV shows and stuff, you know, you you deal with, you know, back and forth kind of mental chess games. You know, you deal with bargaining chips. You deal with being bribed all the time and all that. Like a trolley problem situation where you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So, which have kind of deal um for me i i think it most likely would probably be some iraqi official as that's where you know i saw most of her work being done Um, i don't see anybody from africa targeting her you know so so many odd years later Um, i don't see it being a terrorist group i don't see it being turkey either because um, I didn't see too much, you know, related to her in Turkey specifically. Although there are some uh, other journalist cases that did involve journalists, you know, uh, commenting on Turkey's government and stuff, and they would later be found dead in unexplainable circumstances. So I don't, I won't, I won't completely discount Turkey. However, it for me doesn't sit well. It just doesn't feel like that's the right answer.
0: From what I was able to find, I don't know if she did any work in Turkey. If she did, I couldn't find it documented anywhere. So I agree with you in that sense that I'm sure there are a lot of other people, maybe from Iraq or other places that she worked that had an issue with the message she was trying to send. Jackie's friend Sarah said, quote, a lot of people would have hated her really hated her for what she was doing she would have had a lot of enemies unquote and then another friend Susan said quote a bunch of people might have liked Jackie silenced there is a very strong history of Turkish police at the airport being violent who they perceive as being pro-Kurdish unquote. This probably counteracts what we said about someone from Turkey having a hand in her death but I found this statement to be really quite interesting because I don't know if she's trying to imply that staff at the airport had something to do with her death and I read somewhere I can't exactly remember where but I did read somewhere that part of the reason her death was such a shock is that Iraq was way more dangerous than the airport in Istanbul and if anything Some of them even said they felt safe in that airport, so I'm not entirely sure what she meant by this statement or why she perhaps is, she doesn't say it outright, but is perhaps maybe implying that staff at the airport had something to do with it or at least were, were nasty to her. That quote really came out of the blue when I was researching this case.
1: Yes, and, and, and something uh, interesting that uh, just came to mind. Um, a lot of Muslim countries, you know, have varying degrees uh, of tolerance, especially when it comes to the difference between genders. You know, she being a very headstrong female, you know, journalist, you know, reporting in a lot of these Arabic countries and uh, Muslim dominant countries. Obviously, that a lot of men may feel threatened by that. But here's an interesting thing that I was thinking of playing in my head was, you know, she was found, you know, she walked into the female bathroom and obviously, you know, there's CCTV footage of a bunch of women going in and out and then eventually the three Russian women came in and, you know, they reported her dead. Not once do you see a man go in there and I don't see it being possible, you know, pulling some Mission Impossible stunt going through, you know, in between the ceilings or anything like that, obviously. So then it brings the question of if the killer was female possibly, what does that mean For the country that is responsible because i still believe it is some country or or government agency that's behind it but i don't necessarily see them using you know females for such a job because most of the other the cases that i've read about people disappearing or being found dead they're found dead in their hotel rooms in strange circumstances or they're found dead in their cars or in alleys or something but in a female bathroom that that just makes me ask the question If the killer is a female, what does that mean in terms of possibility, you know, to what happened to Jackie? I don't know. I just think it's something worth thinking about.
0: That's really interesting, and I I actually hadn't considered that before. I mean, yeah, she was found in a female bathroom, so it would have been quite, even at one o'clock in the morning, which is when she went in, I think it would be quite hard to believe that a man would enter the bathroom, kill her, and leave Without being seen, whereas a woman could have done that way, way easier. So I think that's really, really interesting. As far as why would a woman do that, one of the things that went through my head when I was thinking about the theory that she was possibly murdered, if she was murdered, I think we can all safely assume it was due to her journalism and what she was writing. I don't believe for a second that it was a personal motive because I don't understand why they would follow her to Turkey if that was their motive. But as far as a woman killing her in that bathroom, do you think it was maybe someone who just really had strong, strong opinions about what she was writing? And while she did write a lot about, you know, trying to counteract the anti-women narrative by ISIS, sadly, a lot of women that live in these countries have been brainwashed. And that's their... this narrative that ISIS and you know, everyone in history in these countries has written. These women genuinely believe that 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 is their worth, you know, that they don't have as many rights as men or that they are somehow inferior to men.
1: Or it's their God-given role to be subservient or be in this position in society and and so on and whatnot. Yeah, I mean.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: I'm used to hearing that rhetoric too because I do have a lot of, you know, Muslim friends, some who are a little more conservative some who are a little, you know, more a little liberal, who who don't stick a, a, as true to you know their teachings and stuff, and so I've had various opinions and various outlooks on this and stuff. Um, also, real quick, because I know it's going to come up to people, you know, saying, "Oh, what if a, it was just a really small figured man who dressed up as a woman?" I mean, it's, it's possible, yes, because men are more likely to to physically kill someone, whereas women traditionally use something else, such as poison. Yeah. Um, be a little more indirect. Um, it's just it, that idea just doesn't sit right with me. But at the same time, um, like 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 you said, you know, just the idea of a, of a radical woman, you know, just being so enthralled and emotional to just kill, you know, Jackie. You know, like like we said, she was physically fit. You know, she had a figure that could withstand a lot of, of you know a lot of activity. So if someone was just that emotionally charged just to strangle her kill her i would imagine it caused it would cause a lot of commotion cause a lot of noise so i don't see that being as possible um so like like i said there's too many things that are kind of up in the air to say one way or another um i'm just i personally don't think it's somebody too emotionally charged if you will to have done something like this because when people are emotional People get physically violent and they aren't, you know, they they don't think things through. So to have, you know, a death be covered up like this and to this day, you know, still be ruled a suicide. If it was somebody who was just, you know, angry for one reason or another like this, I don't think they would be very likely to have been able to pull this off.
0: I totally agree with everything you said and I think that that's a really really good point I think that if it was a woman who did really strongly disagree with the things that Jackie was writing about and putting out there they probably would have caused some commotion first like maybe shouted at her or you know said mean things to her but there is 45 minutes of time unaccounted for between quarter past 12 when she found out she missed her flight to one o'clock and we don't know what happened in that time you know Nothing might have happened in that time. Maybe she just sat and wondered, oh God, how am I going to, what am I going to do now? You know, it's quarter past one or whatever. Any number of things could have happened in that time. But without knowing that, I think it's really hard to come up with any sort of concrete theory that's not going to sound almost like a conspiracy. I don't, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Something that, that it's not like a solid theory or, or motive. Uh, you're 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 diving into uh, t- tinfoil territory there.
0: Absolutely, and when I put across theories in my episodes, I really like them to be theories that's that's either based on fact or something that is reasonable.
1: Some sense of reason, yeah. Some sense of reason that that it, it makes sense. You know, it's just not pulled out of your ass somewhere.
0: Absolutely, and with this case, it's really hard to come up with theories as to who could have killed her because there is so little known about what happened in that airport after she missed her flight. And although, I think, as I said earlier, I think the one thing that we can all agree on is that if she was murdered, she was probably murdered by someone who took exception to the things that she was writing and the activism and the things that she was doing in Iraq. I think we can all reasonably well at least I can reasonably assume that that would have been the motive.
1: Yeah that, that is something I can definitely agree with you on.
0: It's really difficult with this case because I often find that when we have such little evidence there's so many theories. To this case there's so much about Jackie's life which I'm so grateful for. I feel sad that I had to learn about Jackie and all her accomplishments under these circumstances but I'm so thankful that there's so much online about what an amazing person she was and all the things that she did throughout her life almost nothing about how she died and that could really narrow down what happened to her and in a way I understand it because officially her death husband ruled is suicide, so why would there be? And obviously out of respect for her family. Is I hate to say it, but if she was murdered, I don't know if we're what if we're ever going to, to find out what, what really happened.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I, I share I share with you in that sentiment. I, I just sometimes there are cases that are either too old too well planned out or just the circumstances just make it impossible to find out um and especially whenever you have political agendas involved which may have been a possibility here um you know even though it's pure speculation i feel like this may be unfortunately one of those circumstances one of those cases where we're just never going to get the answer unless someone comes out and says so You know, or unless there is, you know, that smoking gun that definitively says that, yes, she committed suicide. We may not know why, but she did. Until we get one of those two options, you know, we're never going to know. And we're going to be left to to speculate and and dream up all these possibilities and scenarios of what could happen. But it's not going to get us answers. It's not going to get us, you know, evidence. You know, we're not going to get a confession that way. It's not going to amount to much of anything you know and and that's for me the real tragedy is that we don't even know the truth we can speculate the truth all we want but we won't know it
0: and again just to round off this part of the episode our thoughts really do go out to the sutton family i'm so sorry for your loss we're thinking of you and nothing that we've said in this episode was meant to cause you any hurt or disrespect And as I said earlier, if you have struggled with any suicidal thoughts, please see the description of this episode. There will be helplines and resources available. Whatever you believed about how she died or why, we are left with more questions than answers. Although one thing that cannot be questioned is the legacy that Jackie left behind. She cared for people who were unable to care for themselves. She loved animals and she gave home to pets that would have been discarded otherwise. She risked her life to give a voice to women in the Middle East who are constantly being oppressed by out-of-date laws, the culture that they live in and by terrorist groups who want to silence those who they see as a threat. Jackie was smart loving, and I believe inspirational. She would have gone on to do amazing things and I think we could all learn something from her life and her bravery. All photos and sources related to this case can be found on our website at www.uncovertruecrimepodcast.co.uk Please remember to follow the podcast on Twitter at Uncover underscore pod and on Instagram at Uncover True Crime Pod. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me here today on this episode. Episode. Do you want to just reiterate where listeners can find you and your podcast?
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, once again, yes, I am the uh, owner and co-host of Files Obscura. Uh, you can find us on Spotify and Anchor. However, we're also on other platforms such as Stitcher, Google Podcast, and a few other ones that don't come to mind at the moment. Uh, to be up to date with all of our you know, notifications and possible updates and collaborations, you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter or at Instagram, both at Files Obscura, and definitely check out the community over at our Facebook page, same name, Files Obscura.
0: Thank you very much, Aaron. As I said earlier, I will be on an episode of the Files Obscura podcast. I will let you know when that comes out. That's everything I have for you today. Thank you for listening to the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night.